Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. All right, everybody. Welcome back. I've got a huge episode. The education-related things that I have to bring up here are massive, and many of them are local issues, which I'll get into regarding the local school district where I live. But trust me when I say this again, this is happening all over the nation in multiple school districts because more and more of them are becoming insolvent by the day. And even if they believe they are solvent right now, it is, it's not for long. And they even know this, and they even publicly admit it in many cases. So this is a good thing. I mean, this is the collapse. This has to happen. And unfortunately, for those that don't see the bigger picture, it's painful for them because, again, they're, they're trapped in their prison of you know, comfortable delusions, and they don't see a way out. They really have no idea that the very things that they're attempting to keep around, whether they be sports programs or they attempt to be certain, um, you know, these outlying quote-unquote academic programs, which we really know are indoctrination programs like diversity, equity, and all that social-emotional learning crap, that all of that is disgusting. But the more insolvent a school district becomes, those things have to be eliminated. They have to, because if there's money going to it to keep it afloat, and you're looking to save money, well, they have to be eliminated. And rightfully so. I mean, they should be eliminated anyway, but there is is that piece. Okay. I'm going to start with this just very briefly before I get into the education stuff. You may have paid attention to or heard about the stuff regarding Steven Crowder. I uh, I think it's sad. I think it's funny. I think it's sad. He's apparently been verbally abusing his wife for quite some time. I'm just going to summarize it basically by saying this, that, you know, there's security footage on their back porch showing an interaction between the two of them where he's clearly controlling the ever-living hell out of her while she was pregnant with uh, their two twins. But they're getting a divorce and apparently have been since 2021. All of this is gossip as far as I'm concerned, and it doesn't really mean anything. The interesting part is, is you're watching those Con Inc. people at Daily Wire comment on it. And then you're seeing him comment on it and a bunch of people gossip about it, uh, you know, within that entire Con Inc. circle. It's not, it's not my concern in the long run. I, I really don't care. I'm not associated with those weirdos, never want to be, will, will never be. And they're not talking about other major issues that are going on in the country as a result. Again, I understand that they are sensationalists and they have to do what they have to do for clicks and ratings and, and, you know, yeah, I mean, they are the lunch table at a high school, as far as I'm concerned. They love sitting around and gossiping about that kind of stuff. Again, you've heard me say on this show time and time again that I think the Daily Wire is irrelevant. I think that, and this is my opinion, I think Steven Crowder is irrelevant and all of those people, the Tim Pools, et cetera, et cetera. If they aren't bringing up the real things both at the local, state, and national level that need to be brought up along with the global aspect of things as well. And and if they're not bringing that up on a consistent basis and then they're spending their episodes and their time, again, looking for clicks and super chats and money to gossip about people who are engaging in an abusive relationship or actually doing the abusing, well, they're, they're not just distracting themselves, they're distracting their audiences. And again, I, it's sensationalism as far as I'm concerned, so it doesn't, it doesn't concern me. You, I, just, I don't care for any of them, so that's kind of my wide brushstroke on that. 
Okay, here we go. I just wanted to throw my two cents in on that. Not that it matters, you know, but whatever. I, I saw the video and it was disgusting. And again, Steven Crowder's abused a lot of his work, uh, past, past people that have worked for him. They all have non-disclosure agreements. He's, uh, he's not well. The man's not well. So here we go. Education stuff. Tons of it. Okay. Deep breath. Here we go. The local school district where I live last week engaged in a fake drill, of course. It, it was a, a, a shooter drill. Uh, whatever the hell they call it. Run, f- run, hide, and fight. Something like that. Um, they're not the only ones that do drills like this, as you've heard me say. Many school districts across the United States do drills just like this. This occurred, I believe, on a Wednesday, if memory serves, and uh, the students were given the option to opt out if they if they chose to. Now, there's a lot of points with this that have to be brought up because this is one of the largest problems that continues to exist within all of these indoctrination environments. They engage in these drills because they watch the news and the idiot box at home and they just believe everything that is on the news channels. Programming, frequencies, all these things. I mean, they are the most brainwashed individuals that will exist in a, in a town, these school board members. And of course, many of the people who work within And then the parents who send their children there and so on and so forth. It's not all of them. That would be mathematically impossible, but it's plenty of them. When this drill took place, they gave the students the opt-out, the option to opt out of it. Me personally, the problem with that is they should have the option to opt in. It should never be something that they have to opt out of. And in the most recent school board meeting, One of the school board members who shouldn't even be there anymore because I filed an ethics violation against him for soliciting money to pay himself back for Super Bowl tickets, um, he was actually suggesting that all students should be made to do it. He was implying this, that all students should be made to engage in these fake shooter drills, which by the way, and this is an important part, they have police officers in the hallways shooting blanks with guns. They're actually shooting blanks now as a part of school training. And again, it's not new, but this is standard procedure when it comes to preparing them, quote-unquote, for an active school shooter in a real-life situation. Shooting blanks. Many people go their whole lives without ever hearing what a what a gun sounds like. I think that personally is a mistake. Everybody should know what a gun sounds like and everybody should own guns and learn how to use them. But hearing blanks be shot in a school environment is part of the indoctrination. It's part of the brainwashing. It's part of the programming. It's part of getting all of these students to get used to this being a normal thing and a real thing when in fact As we know, and as I've covered here at length, it is not. By and large, they are all manufactured shootings. They are not real. People do not really die. But they're telling everybody, of course, 
that these are the quote-unquote times we live in. And we understand that these are the conversations, quote-unquote, that happen all of the time, and this is just our current reality, they might say. It's abusive. It's government abuse on the unknowing and the unknowledgeable to get them used to a police state and that this kind of control is normal. So accept it when you're a child because you need to learn to accept it when you're an adult. There is a long-term psychological plan that is in place to normalize all of this around fake shootings to get everybody to just be a slave their entire life. Again, cradle to grave. If they're doing this in schools, why don't they do this in major workplaces? It's usually just an email that goes out. Hey, look, if there's an emergency in the building, we're going to lock a couple of these doors. We'll communicate with each other over email. Have a nice day. Get back to work. And then that's what happens. Major workplaces don't engage in such drills, but schools do. Again, they're, they're setting the script. They're setting the narrative as best they can to get everybody used to this. When no one should get used to it because, again, by and large, they're all fake. So it's not about the truth. It's just about brainwashing. During the drill, a pro- and this is according to the actual school board superintendent, rather, himself, he openly stated that approximately 50% of the students opted out, that they chose to not participate. As far as the board members were concerned, in particular the superintendent, they were disappointed that that was the case. And now what they're doing is, is they're looking for ways to essentially make it mandatory by having it at a particular time of a day on a certain day in order to make it unavoidable for everybody. Now, one of the board members, the one who shouldn't be there anymore because he broke the law, He was essentially saying that we shouldn't leave the choice up to students, that students shouldn't have to be the ones who opt out, that it's the parents who should opt out their children. So he's making it sound like students and parents don't communicate with one another about what goes on, and that just because students are opting out, that that's just the students opting out. It's not the parents wanting their child to opt out. Do you see what I mean? Do you see the disconnect? He actually believes, again, that he has the students' best interests in mind over the parents. Also, rather, that the students can't make logical decisions on their own, that that needs to be left to the parents. Because if they disagree with him and these kinds of fake drill things based on things that don't happen in society, then something is wrong with everybody else who doesn't want to participate. But everybody who wants to participate, well, they know what's really going on in the world. I'm telling you, if there's a school board speech that needs to be given publicly and then thrown all over the internet, it needs to be one where someone addresses these idiots and tells them that these school shootings don't happen. Sandy Hook was fake. Uvalde was fake. Nashville was fake. No one died. That has to happen. Somebody has to do that. Please don't make me be the person to do it. I mean, (laughs) it would be funny, and I'd be, I guess, okay doing it. 
but it wouldn't change any of their minds. I mean, it would be interesting to see if these individuals actually think that anyone in the town they live in knows that these are fake. Even if I gave them endless emails with all the documentaries and resources, they would never look into it. Because again, it would shatter their comfortable delusion. It would shatter their own existence. They'd either throw themselves off of a bridge, or they would have those hard wake-up moments that many of us have when we're waking up on particular subjects, and then we go, yeah, all right, we've been lied to. It's happened before. Let's learn more about it, and then we'll move on to the next thing that we've been lied to about. But they don't want to do that. And they're and they're not going to do that. So, I don't know. It would be funny, but I don't uh I don't think I'm I'm I don't know. I mean, I'm there. I would do it, but either way. Um let me see here. What else did he say? It lasted for approximately 2 or 3 hours this entire this entire drill. Sources tell me that there were individuals, teachers in particular who were crying during the drill. Not because they were scared per se, and certainly not because they know that these are, you know, that they're disappointed because they know that these shootings don't happen. It was quite the opposite. It, it, it's an, an emotional response based on them being sad about the perceived time we live in where this has to be normalized. What they fail to understand, again, beyond the fact that these shootings don't happen, is that. Any school board in America can turn down a grant for quote-unquote school safety anytime they want, but they don't. Why? Because it's free money. And because they're brainwashed into believing that school shootings happen with regularity, certainly at the national level where they're plastered on everything and fundraisers show up and everybody milks it for all it's worth, they have no ounce of suspicion in their bones at all. And they don't understand then that that drives all of their decision making regarding receiving any kind of a grant or any kind of funding to promote such a drill within their environment and normalize it. One thing always hinges to the other, is my point. Their, their lack of knowledge and, and their, their willful trust of government is ultimately the problem because that drives all the other decisions that they make. And all the decisions that they are making are bad. All of them. They're not making any decisions that are good. None. Zero. Case in point, in the same board meeting, the day after this drill occurred, and by the way, I think it's awesome that 50% didn't participate. 50% of the students, that was fantastic. I heard some uh, staff members took the day off also because they didn't want to participate too. I mean, that's awesome. But within the same board meeting, during the public comments section, again, this is how stupid these people are. The vast majority of the comments, in fact, it was almost all of them, had to do with the elimination of girls' field hockey and how detrimental that is going to be from a um, a cost-saving standpoint, but more how it's going to be detrimental to the mental and emotional well-being of all of those who participate. They were crying over it. I'm not kidding. They were crying over it. <laughs> what am I going to do? What are my kids going to do? They love field hockey. They just adore it. and blah. They even had former field hockey players 
Even from like past graduating classes, one of the individuals who, of course, I went to high school with, she's a lunatic, and I've brought her up here on the show before and played her audio before, but she was rehashing her old stories of playing field hockey and how it was her ticket out of town, and that's what helped get her into college, and blah, blah, blah. It's disgusting. None of that's real. None of that's true. And here's the best part. The best part is, is that the parents and and these ex-players and current players and advocates for girls field hockey, they're so dumb that they don't even know that the elimination of a sport is not up to the school board. The school board even says it at the very end of the meeting. They go, we appreciate all of the concern, but the decision isn't ours to make. Whose decision is that? It's the athletic director's. Because the athletic director is given a budget. And if that budget isn't enough to cover the cost of a particular sport, well, then which sport, or or all their sports rather, and, and their entire, whatever, their entire schedule for all of their programs, which sport always gets cut? It's the one that has the least amount of participation. And if that one happens to also cost a good deal of money, well, that's the one that gets cut. But they usually do it based on participation. If there's not enough people participating, doesn't matter how old they are, doesn't matter if they're coming into the high school or they're on their way out or, oh, we have a lot of interest at the middle school level, none of that matters. And it's not up to the school board. But the very people advocating for keeping the sport around, are complaining to the wrong person. And they don't understand the most basic, fundamental aspects of a budget. You can't spend what you don't have. You can't. You can't maintain something where you don't have enough players to have a team. I mean, hello, that's the way it goes. If you don't have enough players to fill a team, you can't have the team. But these people don't understand that. They operate on feelings all of the time. Oh, it's just going to be so hard. It's just going to be so hard. Oh, my kids. Oh, I just can't believe it. And they're, they're crying, physically crying. On YouTube, it's being recorded. Anybody can go watch this. It's so pathetic. It's pathetic. But those are the invisible walls of their invisible prison that they can never get out of. They'll never get out of it. And they're not smart enough to figure it out now while they're alive, which means what? It means the clarity of death is the only thing that's going to bring them any peace. And they're going to look back at their life and go, holy shit, I was whining about a lot of stuff that really didn't even matter and was distracting me from all of the horrible things and all of the great things that exist in this world. But I took my time to to cry on a microphone, at a microphone, during a school board meeting about the loss of field hockey. It's pathetic. Beyond pathetic. There are bigger issues at hand that were never brought up in that board meeting. Which brings me to this. Because this right here is huge. Not to mention, when it comes to You know, outrage at a school board meeting. Where are the people complaining to the school board, not just about the fake shootings, but just the just the shooter drills to begin with? 
why do you why do you need to be shooting blanks in the hallway? Why does that have to be a thing? Why do you have to ingrain that in people's minds as being okay, as being an okay drill? It's disgusting. It's immoral. And it's and it's it's based on a lie. You'd think that would be enough to have a pissed off parent show up and say something at these school board meetings, but not so. Not so. All right. So I'm I'm jacked up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stay jacked up because you've heard me mention this story before. Also, same school district, same town, same same thing. Uh, this particular case has ramped up and brings in numerous avenues of thought, and a complete. Uh, well, I would say this: it's a completely different attack and an angle on how you can assist in making a school district insolvent. You may recall the story that occurred back in November, December of 2021 that involved a female middle school student who was groped by her business teacher. Just a quick summary on it. The business teacher was not fired, but he ended up resigning after, of course, district pressure and lawyer pressure and a a thousand other things. But he he was not he was not fired. They just accepted his resignation. They also, of course, and by they I mean the school district, actively worked to cover up the seriousness of it. And of course, in these legal matters and these investigative matters, they really can't say anything. But this particular individual, this school teacher, this Stiver guy, he had a history of this, dating back to 2014. And then, of course, administrators receiving complaints and administrators not investigating. That's the real crux of the issue here, which now brings me to this. The father and the family of the girl who was groped have filed a civil lawsuit against the school district for failing to fire the middle school teacher accused of groping their 12-year-old girl during class in 2021. And then the article here says, and this was from the Cincinnati Inquirer, it says, even though a Title IX investigation found that he had a history of sexually assaulting students as far back as 2024, I'm sorry, 2014 rather, it says the teacher resigned for personal reasons a year and a half later. So the title of the article is, Lawsuit, Talawanda Teacher Groped Middle Schoolers, Plural, Administration Knew and Didn't Investigate. If I had a nickel for every time that this happens within American K-12 school districts, ladies and gentlemen, the Federal Reserve would be empty of nickels. This is a constant. This happens constantly within American K-12 schools, as you've heard me say. The cover-up is always in place. They go into panic mode, cover-up mode, bury it, bury it, bury it as fast as they can. Image protection is their number one concern. And they have no idea that if they just did the right thing from the word go, that they would never have to worry about the long-term ramifications of what happens when you do the wrong thing from the start. Just do the right thing. But they're immoral people with no values, which means it's inevitable that things like this will occur. 
So the article continues and it says the lawsuit filed by a student and her parents demands a trial by jury. The teacher, Paul Stiver, was sued at the state level in December for the same incident and a settlement in his, I'm sorry, is in the works, it says, according to Butler County Court records. Students raised several concerns about Stiver over the years. Incidents listed in the federal complaint from other minors include Stiver giving students unsolicited gifts, making inappropriate jokes, rubbing girls' backs and shoulders, touching girls' chest, chests, plural, and telling one student to not wear low-cut tops or bend over in front of him. The Talawanda Board of Education as an entity and its individual board members, Patrick Mead, Rebecca Howard, Chad Otto, Kathleen Knight Abowitz and David Bothist were named in the federal complaint along with Superintendent Edward Thoreau, Talawanda Middle School Principal Mike Malone, and Vice Principal Stephanie Ernie as well. The student is identified by initials as are her parents with their last names, blah, blah, blah. The school district declined to comment as of Thursday afternoon. The complaint says that Stiver was teaching a business fundamentals class in December 1st of 2021 when the incident occurred. While students were playing a computer game, he approached the girl's desk, placed his hand on her shoulder and upper back, and slid his hand down the front of her chest to grope her breast. Another student witnessed the assault. The assaulted student texted her older sister afterward, and she wrote, um, quote, um, Mr. Stiver just touched my shoulder and slid his hand down my chest, down to my chest, unquote, according to the complaint. She also expressed fear of reporting the incident, even though her classmate that saw it happened, that saw it happen, urged her to go to the school administration. The girl told her parents who rushed to meet her at the school. That's when the student reported the incident to another teacher and then to administrators. The school resource officer also received the report and a criminal complaint against Stiver was filed with Oxford Police. While the incident was widely covered by media at the time, the complaint says that the community was not particularly surprised because because residents claimed, quote, it was common misbehavior for Stiver, unquote. Common misbehavior. So why'd you keep him around? School administrators Malone and Ernie, I've met both of these people, by the way. I talked with both of them once. They are remarkably stupid. Um, They told investigators there had been recent prior allegations of harassment made against Stiver, but those previous allegations were not properly investigated, and they did not get added added to Stiver's personnel file, the complaint reads. The student who also I'm sorry, the student who was assaulted in December of 2021 received a lot of support from her peers after she reported Stiver, but the complaint says that she was also bullied. The harassment that came in the aftermath of her reporting, Stiver to authorities, was never investigated either. Quote, I hope he touches your sister too, unquote. One prank caller told her, according to the complaint. The incident with Stiver, people are disgusting, aren't they? I mean, Jesus. Uh, It says the incident with Stiver and everything that followed contributed to a steep decline in the girl's mental health. Of course it would. It says, so says the complaint. She eventually left Talawanda and was homeschooled. Good. 
She began, she began self-harming and had suicidal ideation. It then says, quote, The last place a student should be subjected to sexual predation is in the classroom, unquote, said attorney Austin LaPuma of Frecking Myers and Rule, my old law firm. Um, I hired them once or twice. Let's see. Said in a Thursday news release, it said, quote, Talawanda School District has continuously failed its students. This will not be tolerated by the community, unquote. And then he and other attorneys representing the students are encouraging other survivors to reach out to them. And then, of course, they post a phone number and then the actual lawsuit itself. Okay. I've been over the ins and outs of those actions and those kinds of illegal actions before. Here's why I'm bringing it up again not just because the lawsuit is new, but the financial impact that this has now on the entire school district, not to mention, of course, previous voting on elections, whether that be for individual school board members themselves or future levies. This is where it gets real shady. And I'll also add this. Apparently, according to the complaint, allegedly, there were school board members and administrators who were getting rid of their cell phones and changing out to brand new cell phones in an effort to hide uh, either videos that they had taken or communications, text messages, voicemails, things of that nature that, uh, that occurred on their old cell phones. This is how dumb these people are. They don't understand that in a suit like this, you can acquire the text messages regarding the cover-up of a crime, in particular of a sexual nature, from the phone companies. Nothing's really ever deleted. I mean, you know, Hillary Clinton can bash her phones with a hammer and, uh, you know, burn endless amounts of classified documents. They're never really gone. <laughs> but, but these people think, allegedly, that, uh, that that's the case. Oh, how sorely mistaken they are. So here's where this takes an interesting twist. When cases like this occur, yes, it has a negative impact on their ability to run for school board in the future, and it should. No one should ever vote for them. In fact, if you vote for them, you're voting for this kind of pedophilia. And you're, you're, you're voting for the pedophilic apologists. That's a problem. That's the first one. The second one is even more financial, which is it impacts their ability to pass a levy in the future because who wants to give more money to an environment like this ever again after something like this? Most people with any moral sense or, you know, those who have values would not vote for these people, nor would they vote for any kind of a levy that would raise their own taxes just to give the school environment more money so that they can continue with their perverse programs and so on and so forth. The other avenue is that these individuals as school board members are going to have a next to impossible time if convicted, trial by jury, keep that in mind, if they're convicted they won't be able to hold office again because the insurance companies won't bond them. Because they will have been convicted in a civil lawsuit, which would only increase 
their insurance costs as in, as an individual elected official, again, making it next to impossible to insure them in many cases. So that's the, that's the second avenue of, of financial destruction that occurs as a result of, hopefully, a conviction. On top of all of that, it then begs the question, if convicted in court by a jury in a civil trial where the district has to then pay said money, do they have to vacate their elected positions and their hired position as a superintendent and then administration because they were convicted? I would certainly hope so. Certainly seems like a massive ethics complaint has to be written into, into the law somewhere that if these individuals are sued and they lose, in particular regarding the safety and well-being of a student and other students, at the hands of an abusive teacher that they allowed to exist within that district time and time again, year after year after year, that they would have to leave their positions by law. Because again, if new school board members move in and the superintendent doesn't leave, you would hope that new school board members would fire the superintendent. He was involved in this. Allegedly, anyway. On top of that, I put this story out on Gab, of course, and an individual replied back and they said, well, the money that would be used for the lawyers, well, they didn't say all of this, but they were implying that the money that would be used to defend the school district officials, school board members, the two administrators, and the superintendent, that that, that money being used for them in court and all those lawyer fees would simply come from the taxpayers. Now, they're right and they're wrong. In this particular case, given the other financial situations that are, that are occurring within the district, they're actually incorrect. What they would do is, is they have a set amount of money set aside to pay lawyers. But when a lawsuit like this comes in, those lawyers charge more. They don't charge less. So that money that, that they're going to charge these individuals to defend them their rate as a lawyer or as a firm is going to increase. When that happens, that money has to come out of the accounts of the entire school district. But the school district is borderline insolvent right now. So the levy that is on the ballot here, and they already talked about it in the last board meeting, the, the, the actual dates with which they have to file the levy and agree to put forth a levy in order for it to make its way to the November 2023 ballot. So they've already got this all planned out. They know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to do it again. And they might even do an emergency uh, an emergency levy vote sometime in, in August, either this year or next year. I mean, that's how, that's how borderline insolvent they are. But any levy that gets pushed forth now the American voter has to understand that when you're when you when you vote for a levy, you're also voting to pay for their legal costs. Does this sound to you like a school district that should have its legal costs paid for by the taxpayer? No. In fact, I wish there was a law that said if a lawsuit came out suing the individuals of an entity, 
civil, criminal, or otherwise, that that money come out of that individual's bank account or that individual's paycheck, not not the entity as a whole. But this right here is the problem with unions, and this right here is the problem with school districts and the law firms that they work with and the contracts that they sign and all of that. They're all legally represented, or represented rather, to protect themselves as much as humanly possible, even when they are in the wrong. So their defense fees are going to be exorbitant, but that's only going to put a, a larger strain financially on everything that they're already cutting and the other things maybe that they don't want to cut. So they'll get rid of this program or that particular sport, keeping in mind that that money that they're getting, or those programs rather, that they're getting rid of, they're saving that money for their own legal fees. And of course, you heard me mention earlier, the business of being bonded again. If they get convicted, this is all in their permanent records as individuals which means any insurance company is going to be able to see that they were sued in civil court, federal court, in a civil lawsuit, rather, and, and they were convicted. That's not, I mean, that's not going to work out for them at all. They may never hold elective, elected office ever again, and that's the point. So, yes, you can try to win at the ballot box by running someone who's more ethical, hopefully, and and has values and so on and so forth and knows what they're talking about. You can run those individuals against these degenerate nitwits. Or you can, I'm not saying hope for a, a child crime to occur, but if one does, or any kind of a crime, you sue them. And and you hire a lawyer to, to file a civil lawsuit against them. And hey, if it's ironclad and they're convicted, then they're finished. They're absolutely finished. So I wanted to mention all of that. Again, there's a lot there, but that that's something that's that's something that's happening. And there are multiple scenarios associated with it, but all of it makes the entire school district look terrible because they're terrible. And I might add, even one of the school board members, the actual president himself, who's one of the degenerates on the board, he he wasn't he wasn't even there for the meeting. Wasn't even there. Maybe he was afraid that people were going to make public comments and he didn't want to be there to field those public comments. But no one made a public comment about it at the microphone. Not a single person. Nobody said anything about it. So there you go. Awfully telling. They're crying about the loss of field hockey, but they're not crying about this. They're not crying about a criminal cover up of child abuse. You see where people's priorities are? It's disgusting. Here's another one. Two more Miami University related issues also here, which are interesting. I have more education stuff as well. But this was from the university newspaper, the Miami student, and I've read from this before. It's titled Students, Faculty, and Staff at Miami Protest Ohio's Senate Bill 83 and House Bill 151. What these do is it would essentially limit diversity, equity, and inclusion training. It would require an American government and history course for students, outline who can and cannot strike, and prohibit professors from discussing controversial topics in class. It says the bill defines controversial topics as any belief or policy that is the subject of political controversy, including issues 
such as climate change, electoral politics, foreign policy, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, immigration policy, marriage, or abortion. I bet the Holocaust is in there too. I bet the Holocaust is in there too. You see, though, this is interesting. This is basically what I brought up in the last episode, which is this is the scale of degeneracy that exists, the the ridiculous back and forth, just the constant, you know, we, we're trying to make it look like we're helping people by getting rid of diversity and equity and inclusion as conservatives. However, at the exact same time, we are limiting free speech and you're not allowed to talk about climate change being false. You're not allowed to talk about stolen elections. You're not allowed to talk about foreign policy. You can't talk about, again, how DEI is degenerate and a distraction. You can't talk about illegal aliens and how we're being invaded at the southern border. And you can't talk about the strength and power of a strong ethical marriage and how abortion is murder. And I'm just throwing in the Holocaust, the holohoax, if you will. You can't talk about those things. See, that's a problem. This is why Democrats and Republicans don't give a shit about you. They don't care about us. They're, they're both the enemy. And these people standing here protesting this are the useful idiots. Holding their signs and saying, oh, you know, we want to be able to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and gay rights. And another sign says, don't take my major away, and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Everybody's being tricked in this. With this particular bill, everybody's being tricked. Everybody's being further brainwashed. Everybody's being further indoctrinated. I'm telling you, the American high school classroom, middle school, elementary, whatever you want to, whatever, you know, whichever level, right all the way through college, is arguably the largest and most effective indoctrination camp that has ever existed in the history of the world. And the people perpetuating these laws and these bills are just using everybody in the process. So, yeah, all of these bills and these these mirror bills are not a good thing. But they're not a good thing, not for the reason that these degenerates think that it's not a good thing. It's far worse than they can possibly imagine. Because it impacts everybody negatively. That means you can't do a project about the hollow hoax. You can't do a project about um, voter fraud. You, you can't do a project about being invaded at the southern border. You can't give presentations in the front of a class uh, about any of this because it would be quote-unquote illegal. It seems like it's against the law to some extent. You know, First Amendment and everything. But they don't care about the First Amendment. Yeah. Again, I understand a person would read the headline and they'd say, yeah, the queers aren't getting what they want. And, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion is going to be eliminated. If you look into it a little bit more, it actually is worse than that. I mean, I mean, that's that's good that 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 wouldn't be discussed because that's brainwashing enough. But it doesn't allow people to talk about the hoaxes either. And that's that's the real issue. That's the crux of the matter for me. Okay, here's another one from the Miami student again. More degenerate behavior. Miami's former 
female basketball coach, and her intimate texts with a player are linked to her resignation. Deuna Hendricks, former Miami University women's basketball coach, resigned on Wednesday, citing competitive reasons, quote-unquote, in an interview with the Miami student. On Friday, The Athletic reported that she resigned after an investigation revealed intimate text messages she exchanged with the player. Those communications provided to The Athletic by a university source include a string of over 180 text messages spanning an 11-day period. 11 days, 180 text messages. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Yikes. Some of them said, quote, in them, Hendricks wrote, quote, I love you, and you're my baby, and told the player, I can't, I, period, can't, period, wait, period, to, period, squeeze, period, you, period. <laughs> Amazing. In all, more than 30 of the messages were of an intimate nature. In a statement to the student, the student is the paper, I guess. Alicia Lipton, Miami University Associate Director of Media Relations, was in full cover-up mode, said that the university's priority was the health and safety of its athletes. <laughs> Again, if I had a nickel for every time a university or a K-12 school district has said that following line, we'd be rich beyond our wildest imagination. Quote, they said the following, when Miami University learned of information suggesting that Deuna Hendricks, former women's head basketball coach, was in violation of university policy, it took swift action by placing her on interim suspension as it conducted an investigation, Lipton wrote. There were no allegations of criminal activity, nor were there any indication of a Title IX sexual misconduct violation. Really? However, this investigation led to her resignation. Had she not resigned, the university would have pursued the termination process. Unquote. The Athletics report states that Miami Athletic Director David Saylor became aware of the text messages on April 19th, and Hendricks was suspended the next day. Now, if you think for a minute that Hendricks is going to accept responsibility for this, you would be sorely mistaken. As it turns out, uh, she's not. Shocking, I know. It says, as far as the uh, choice to leave, she said, quote, it's pretty much matter of fact, just looking at the state of the program with some valuable pieces jumping in the portal and obviously We've been building for four years, so going into a contract year, it was really important that all the pieces stay in place. And so when it didn't look that way, you know, I just felt like I needed to slide over and let somebody else take the reins, so that's where we're at with it. Unquote. Yes. Clearly taking responsibility for inappropriate text messages to a player. In one text exchange with the player, it says, Hendricks referenced a married couple who had been who had been together for many years and said, quote, doing this with you openly would be more than ideal, unquote. Then in a text on April 9th, Hendricks wrote, Today is the day with multiple whys that my girl returns to me, unquote, and that, quote, 
the airport will be clear of Miami WBB's employees, unquote. The player also made intimate comments in the exchange, including professing her love for Hendrix. Well, isn't that nice? A Miami spokesperson said that the school's investigation of the matter is now closed. What about the player? How about you get the player off the team? It says, according to The Athletic, which obtained Hendricks' resignation via a public records request, her resignation is contingent upon the university responding to all third-party inquiries about her employment by providing only my dates of employment and position held. Further, it, st- it states that Saylor, quote, agrees he will not disparage me or make any statements to others that may be considered to be derogatory or detrimental to my good name or reputation. Honest to God, these people have no sense of awareness whatsoever. None. Zero. The resignation should be private and blah, blah, blah. It says, quote, with our student-athletes' well-being at the forefront of our concern and to protect their rights and confidentiality under FERPA, the university accepted the coach's resignation on Wednesday, April 26th. Quote, we will continue to support our student-athletes with resources and recognize how difficult this past week has been. Much of the underlying information surrounding events remains confidential and protected student information under FERPA. According to The Athletic, Hendricks did not respond to phone calls or text messages seeking comment. The student also reached out to Hendricks and did not receive a response. How about the player? Who's the gay player? Shouldn't you find them? Do something with them? Again, the incestuous nature of these environments is disgusting. It is pervasive. It is not going away. It is getting worse. And the more of the degenerate behavior they invite, it gives them, so they think, a free pass to do whatever they want. This is not going to get better with time. It will get worse. And as far as not accepting responsibility for their actions. It's a beautiful segue to this next thing. I know you're familiar with Randy Weingarten. She is the president of the American Federation of Teachers, the AFT. She, of course, testified in front of Congress. I believe it was the either House Oversight Committee or Judiciary Committee, one of the two, probably Oversight. And she was asked a variety of questions specifically regarding the business of the COVID lockdowns and her take on the whole thing and so on and so forth. Without playing any audio, let me just summarize this briefly because it's, it's what you would expect. And there really isn't very good audio to necessarily play because a lot of people were taking personal digs on on how, well, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, or Marjorie Greene, rather, because she's divorced now. But she would, she would, she was basically criticizing her for uh, saying mean tweets about Marjorie and how Marjorie didn't like the mean tweets and and whatever else. This right here again is continuing to prove my overall point that. Government isn't really asking the questions that government needs to be asking. The so-called representatives aren't really asking the questions of these people that they should. There was some back and forth 
you know, a lot of the basic questions of, are you a medical doctor? Uh, you know, Mrs. Weingarten. And then she goes, no, I'm not. And well, then how can you know about the COVID policies and blah, blah, blah. That, that's such a, it's a, oh, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's low hanging fruit. That particular question is, is stupid in my opinion. And it's just low hanging fruit. The question to ask her is, did you receive any financial kickbacks of any kind or any financial incentive for keeping the schools closed, in particular in and around New York City, which is where you claim to live, and you claim that this was an emotional time for you because you were watching endless ambulances make their way to and from the city to the local hospital where you live right down the street from. Did you receive any money as a result of keeping the schools locked down? She, of course, would say no, and she would say so under oath. This is where you would provide the receipts that would prove otherwise, that their funding dramatically increased as an organization. She, of course, would say it was because teachers were fearful, and that's why we were receiving more funds, and they wanted us to protect them because there were plenty in the business who wanted to throw them back into the classroom. Again, the hypocrisy of the entire thing is beyond evident. Another aspect of it that is going to be something that we're basically continuously going to see roll out is we're going to see these organizations that all worked together start to throw each other under the bus. Randy Weingarten, what she was doing in, in that congressional hearing was she was consistently saying that she, of course, is not the head of the CDC. She's not a scientist, she said, and these kinds of things shouldn't be left up to just her. And she wanted the schools open and wanted the schools to get open quicker. But we were having to manage all of these teachers that were just fearful and they didn't want to go back into the class because they didn't want to get sick and they didn't want to die and blah, blah, blah. Again, the emotional aspect of this, which of course is completely ridiculous. That's the excuse that is being played now in front of everyone. It's not facts. It's, a, it's opinions and emotions. That's the backstop that these, in, that these corrupt individuals are using as justification for their actions. Well, we were all scared and we were all going to die and we didn't want to do these things as quickly maybe, but we all wanted to get back into the classroom. And if anybody says that we didn't, well, then they're lying. That's not true. These unions wanted to string this out as long as they could because they were receiving more money from school teachers during this time because teachers weren't in the classroom. And the perception of these unions protecting them during this time was firmly in place. So what was the union doing? Soliciting money. They were soliciting donations from their members more abundantly under the guise of, we are here to protect you. Don't worry. We have your best interests at heart. You heard Rochelle Walensky from the CDC say a very similar thing. Well, you know, uh, variants are changing and they're constantly changing. And, you know, if we knew then what we know now, then decisions would have been different. That's not an excuse for your criminal action. This is conspiracy to commit fraud. Conspiracy to commit fraud 
is a crime. Conspiracy to commit murder is a crime. That's what these people were doing. Coercing their members and their and their co-workers and the people who they take money from and have influence over. They were influencing them and coercing them to take these bioweapons, poison themselves with masks. We can't go back unless there's mask wearing. All the students have to wear them and we have to poison them too. And so on and so on. They belong at the wrong end of a firing squad. That's what has to happen here. They have to be convicted, scooped up, taken away, tried, executed. There's, there's no other way around this. You can't keep these criminal masterminds. They're not masterminds. They're, they're idiots. They're engaging in robbery in broad daylight with endless cameras on them, and we can all see what they're doing. But they can't get away with this. They, they just can't. She even went on CNN later that day and talked with Allison Camerata and openly stated this too, which should tell you basically all you need to know about the tactics that they use. She said that the American Federation of Teachers is also one of the largest unions for nurses. Now, as you've heard me say before, there are three professions that usually have bullying at an all-time high within those professions. Food service workers, nurses, and the education profession. Those are the top three where bullying occurs constantly. But here she is again, playing and acting as if she's the savior of American education. It was detrimental and we're still reeling from the effects of COVID. But uh, trust me in the future because I have my American flag and Ukraine flag lapel pin. And I'm a lesbian with an adopted child and you can trust me. I'm sorry. These these people are degenerate, and they are the problem, and they will continue to be the problem as long as these criminal organizations continue to exist. Seems like the RICO statute could come in and swoop these people up in an instant. Seems like the military could do the same thing if the time ever came. It's disgusting. Okay. More education stuff. It does not end. Sicily sent me this. This is huge. This is from Idaho. It says the following from KXLY.com. Four elementary schools at risk of closing if CDA school district levy fails. Give this audio a listen in three, two, one. Teachers and staff are waiting to see if they will still have jobs next year. Thanks for joining us. I'm Aaron Luna. Coeur Public Schools declared a financial emergency. Our Natalie Grant joins us live from Coeur d'Alene. And Natalie, what does an emergency declaration mean for the district? Aaron, that's right. I'm outside here of Ramsey Elementary School, which is one of the four schools that the superintendent identified today could be closing their doors if this levy doesn't pass next month. Now, the others that were noted today were Bryan, Dalton, and Bora Elementary Schools. And although there's no specifics that were given on which two of those schools could be closing their door. Now, as far as the declaration goes, the main goal behind this declaration today was to give the district the ability to let their teachers know that they 
may or may not have a job at some of these schools in the fall. Now, as they want to let them know as soon as possible there. It could impact hundreds of faculty members within the district. The superintendent is advocating in favor of sending those reduction in force or RIF notices to those impacted staff members as soon as possible to give them time to prepare. But members of the board voiced concerns about what declaring a financial emergency could do for the long term in the district. They also asked if sending these notices out before the levy vote was necessary. Now, leaders from the district say that if this levy does not pass, the declaration will need to be put in place anyway. And getting a head start on the process will allow them to be as transparent with their staff as possible. To be able to inform employees as early as possible is dependent upon the declaration of a financial emergency. That's the whole point of the financial emergency is that you are able to move forward and let your people know as soon as possible. Now, as far as the contingency goes, the board voted to pass the declaration, stating only if before those RIF notices are sent out, they have to be the ones to approve the list, which will be, which will be approved after the levy vote. We will just hold off on informing um, or informally um, informing any staff members um, between now and, and the levy, and then we'll be prepared to inform them as quickly as possible right after. And as far as next steps goes, the emergency declaration will now have to be approved by the state, which they say will only take about a day or two. But now the big question remains, what happens if the levy passes? Well, there's a meeting that's already on the books for May 17th, which is the day after the election. And at that meeting, the board could just take that declaration off the books with no consequences. And just a reminder for all those voters out here in Coeur d'Alene that that election is coming up here on May 16th. Reporting live in Coeur d'Alene tonight. Natalie Grant, 4 News Now. They're not going to be the only ones. They're not the only ones. And this is not going to go away. This is going to get worse with time. Worse for them. Great for everybody who has any, oh, I don't know, sense of what's really going on in the world and how this entire system is the real problem. It's great for us. We're on the outside looking in, watching the entire house of cards fall to the ground. Here's the sad part. This is exactly what these institutions do not understand. They don't understand that you cannot lie and be misled and believe lies and continue to be misled without knowing it for over 100 years and expect this to not back up on you eventually. We're living through the eventually. I mean, we're living through that part right now. This is happening in Idaho. This is happening not just there, again, predominantly white, lots of money, lots of people there. Not an issue, typically. More people are homeschooling. They're tired of the degeneracy. They're tired of the lies. Their children are old enough to read and write. They're old enough to teach themselves. Why send them? Every time they don't send them, the district loses money. That that cattle tag with a price tag on the ear of the child disappears. They can't cash them in anymore. So then they have to start closing buildings. You've heard me again. You've heard this on this show time and time again. I've gone through the process from beginning to end as to what happens even with the vacant buildings and what happens with them and what the town or the district will ultimately do. If they can't pay the bills, 
for the building anymore, then the bank will take it. If they own the building outright, they'll have to sell it. Then that money will go back into the district in the existing building that still exists within the district, however many buildings that is. That money will disappear in the blink of an eye, and then they're right back to square one. And they're, they're again, borderline insolvent or insolvent again. This is the collapse of Rome, and it has to happen. It has to happen. The family has to circle the wagons. The family has to do what they can to educate one another and themselves individually as much as humanly possible and get government out of the way. Again, you can't trust government for 120 some odd years and expect it to not eventually back up on government. It's always been backing up on the family, hasn't it? I mean, we've all been lied to. We all, well, not all of us, but a lot of us, myself included, went through these indoctrination centers, being told particular things, being shown endless things, being lied to and misled on a constant basis by the very brainwashed people who went through the system themselves. This is, this is the cycle of abuse. This is the cycle of indoctrination. It has to be broken. It has to be broken permanently. And thank God it's happening. Here's another reason why it's happening, actually. And this is happening in Australia. This is titled, it's coming from caldronpool.com, C-A-L-D-R-O-N, Calderon, I don't know, there's no accent mark, but either way, it's titled, Sydney School Tells Students with Invader Ancestry, quote-unquote, to wear orange. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, discrimination and singling out students based on their ancestry and their heritage is what they're doing. But don't worry. The safety and wellness of all students in our environment are our number one concern. Back that truck up again. It says, quote, I felt that they were deliberately targeting white students in a way that would only make them feel shame about their appearance and cultural background. It says, quote, A Sydney State School has told white students to wear the color orange on Harmony Day in recognition of their quote-unquote invader ancestry. Dulwick Hill Public Schools, if I'm saying that right, don't care, Principal Linda Wickman, every time, noticed school members in a mail-out last month that the school was holding a Harmony Day special assembly where students and family members will be invited to wear national costumes of their ancestral or formal birth countries. Students and families with settler-slash-invader ancestry, unquote, were instead encouraged to wear orange. The official color chosen was to, quote, show support for a culturally diverse Australia. The notice read, quote, students are invited to wear the national costume of an ancestral former birth country, and so are your parents and carers. For those of us who have settler-slash-invader ancestry, the color orange is the Harmony Day color, and I encourage students and family members to join me wearing orange, unquote. Leave this school. Leave them. 
they are an example of a school that cannot keep doing these kinds of things and expect to exist. So just speed up the process. Speed up the process and make them insolvent. Doesn't matter what country it is. Just keep it going. And then there's this, which leads me into the jab discussion briefly. Shouldn't shock anybody. Again, I'm not patting myself on the back on this, although I know it's going to sound like that, but I called this one, didn't I? Uh, Detroit Free Press, Warren Middle Schooler saves busload of children after driver passes out. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm speculating here, but this was a vaccident. And it was a vaccident that was averted by a student. Now, this, I believe, is a female, probably a tranny. Who knows? It looks like a female. Um, although, again, dressing like a male. Purple, uh, you know, purple shirt, short haircut, lots of ear piercings. There's a breast there, so it's probably a female. Point is. The superintendent has declined to name the driver and her condition and is not being released. She is still hospitalized, he said, and the incident happened about 2.59 p.m. on Wednesday afternoon in the area of Connor and Hayes. The driver's age was also not released, but it was a fairly new bus driver who started in July of 2022. Uh, how about you talk about the vaccident? How about you talk about the fact that you probably pushed the jabs on countless people and it took this kid, not hopefully not being jabbed, although mother is standing there and she's wearing scrubs, which would indicate that she's probably jabbed. And the dad is there also, but uh, yeah, that the kid stood up and grabbed the steering wheel and put his foot on the brake and pulled the bus over while the person was having a stroke. There you have it. It's still happening. I called it back in 2021. I said these vaccidents are going to increase. You're going to see this constantly. I said it in 2022. And then where I live locally, a, a school bus on the very first day of school went right through the front door of a house. And the bus was filled with students, and the bus driver had a massive heart attack. Jabbed? Probably. Same thing in this situation. It's not, it's not going away. It's not going away, and it's not going to go away. Okay, speaking of jabs, National File, Dr. Fauci funded the Sudan biolab seized by extremists, it says. He's connected to the Sudanese biolab that's been seized by extremist fighters in the nation's ongoing civil war. Shocking, said no one ever. This man, I'll tell you what, he's got his tentacles in just about every country in all of these biolabs, and the biolabs are existing just about everywhere. Here's another one from CBS. AstraZeneca says new COVID drug could guard against all variants of concern to date. I bet. AstraZeneca, ladies and gentlemen, of course, uh, is in a bit of financial trouble because their jabs, of course, were killing people. And the entire country of Australia, one of the more jabbed countries in the world, certainly per population, they uh, have done away with the AstraZeneca jab while keeping the other deadly jabs. But don't worry, AstraZeneca is here to the rescue because they have apparently another pill that will cure what ails you. They guarantee it. 
or so they probably think, but we know otherwise. It says a replacement for a key COVID-19 antibody drug that has been used to protect immunocompromised Americans could be available within months. Executives for drug maker AstraZeneca said Thursday after promising early results suggested it may work against all known variants of concern. Unquote. There are no variants. There's only the immunocompromised that exist as a result of taking these jabs, and now you're swooping in with your alleged solution. The Hegelian dialectic yet again. It rears its ugly head. It's currently named AZD3152 and is being tested in a trial that is dubbed Supernova with the hope of preventing symptomatic infection in people with weakened immune systems caused by AstraZeneca, no less. There are people who walk around believing that their body is an experimental device, that they should just pump it with whatever they want, and the pharmaceutical industry has their best interests at heart, and as long as they just try stuff and they keep pumping their body with these drugs, that they're going to live. Those people are not going to live. They're not going to make it. Here's what it says in the article, too, which again, they slide this right in because they don't think anybody's going to pay attention to it. Listen to this explanation as to why they claim that the FDA pulled AstraZeneca. It says the FDA effectively pulled that prophylactic drugs emergency use authorization in January, citing the growing prevalence of variants that it would not work against. That's why they're claiming that they pulled AstraZeneca, not because of all the people who were dying from it, not because of the paralysis and the heart trouble and instant death. No, no, no. Not the AIDS. It wasn't that. It was all the variants. And the jab that we pushed forth is not protecting against the variants anymore. So that's why we got rid of it. Do you see how the variant lie is being used to cover up all of their intentional criminality here? It's being used to actually, in an attempt to cover up their depopulation agenda and this mass genocide that's taking place. There are no variants. They don't exist. Never have. Still don't. Here's another one. Daily Mail. It says, another jab in the face of common sense. The CDC sticks with COVID vaccine requirement for travelers coming to the United States a policy that's had no effect on transmission rates. So here's what they want for travelers. If you're coming into the United States, you have to have had at least one shot since November of 2021. And if you've had two, well then congratulations, you're allowed in also. But not if you're an illegal alien running through the border. If you're an illegal alien running into the border, into the southern border, or anywhere else for that matter, don't worry. You're allowed in no matter what. Again, this article actually says the following. Can't make this up. This is from a Dr. Doug Badger, Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Again, same place where Tucker Carlson spoke. They're in on it too, ladies and gentlemen. It says, quote, 
Vaccines reduce the risk that an infected individual will develop severe illness, but they do not prevent transmission. This is where their minds are. They're saying it doesn't prevent transmission, but it prevents severe illness. No. Wrong again. It causes severe illness, it causes death, and transmission is always via electromagnetism. That's why the jabbed are transmitting all their jab juice on everybody. It can't get clearer. But these people are in it for the money. The Heritage Foundation probably got a kickback. All these places were probably getting kickbacks. And that's the way that it works. It's just about money. And it's about perpetuating these lies. It's not about the truth. Because again, these fairy tales have been told to us through the school system for over a hundred years. And they they continue to be told to people. Medical schools, colleges, K-12, pick one. It's all of it. It's all of it. And in conclusion, that basically leads me to this. And this is a nice wrap-up, I think, sort of encompassing everything that I've brought up here. And then I have just a quick little homework project for everybody, something to listen to. It's about an hour long. I will link that in the description below and briefly describe it here at the conclusion of, of this article. But this comes from, again, Children's Health Defense, and it is titled, Important Conversations Never Had. Colleges Quietly End Mandates Without Addressing Harms. The title pretty much gives it away. You've heard me say it here on this show time and time again, that this is the one thing that these college administrators are never going to do is admit fault. They're never going to admit that they ostracized their students, that they abused all of them, they poisoned them, not just with the mask wearing, but of course the jab taking and all of that misleading everybody into believing that the word mandate means mandatory legally when clearly it does not and then not uh, not admitting not admitting any fault and certainly not paying anybody back for the uh the measures that they took from a financial standpoint let alone an apology letter because again that would be a bridge too far for them, and they don't want to do that. The cat would be out of the bag. So what have they done? They've slowly backed away. They've slowly said, well, we're dropping the mandates, and no, it's not because no one's coming here anymore. I mean, that's what they would want you to believe, when obviously, from a visual standpoint, that's exactly why they dropped the mandates, because they were losing copious amounts of money. And they still are, and they still will. And in the meantime, of course, to make up that difference, they're going to raise the tuition of the students who are dumb enough to still attend. And as they continue to attend, again, they have to make ends meet. It's, it's no different than an apartment building. Well, the apartment manager, for example, in an apartment building can't fill the building. If you can't fill the building, then you have to raise the rent of the people who are still living there. It's, it's like that in any line of work. It's like that in any business. And the university system is the same kind of business. So this is continuing to happen, but the subtitle says again, many major universities across the country are quietly dropping their COVID-19 vaccine mandates for students at the end of the spring semester. Critics say in addition to ending mandates, there must be a public conversation about the harms they caused. There should be 
but there won't be. There won't be. Again, I can't think of a larger knife in the back and a larger deception than the one that was played on all of the students and even the staff members right down to the maintenance workers and the food service workers and the tech workers and everybody else who really makes a university environment thrive, so to speak anyway, Uh, certainly those that keep the lights on, those individuals were tricked too. It wasn't just students and professors. It was all of their employees. They all had to take these, so they thought. And then look what it's done to many of them. Many of them are sick. Plenty of them are dead. How's that going to work over the course of time? I'm not entirely sure, but I I don't think it's going to work out well. So here's what at least one individual who is the co-founder of No College Mandates stated this Lucia Sinatra, I'm saying that right. Um, and they track mandates and organize parents, students, faculty, and others to end them. They told the defender that at least 325 colleges and universities are still mandating the shots. Down from a list of more than 800 top colleges the group was originally tracking, the group maintains an updated list on its website. And they have a link to that. It says the language of the mandate ending announcement is consistent across universities because they're communists. They said that they maintain that vaccines are safe and effective, and they continue to strongly recommend that all students, faculty, staff, and visitors stay up to date with their COVID-19 vaccines. So they they haven't given up the message yet. This is, of course, still going to back up on them. Says many announcements tie the end of the mandates to the Biden administration's decision to end the public health emergency declared by the Trump administration in January 20. uh, I'm sorry, January of 2020 through this coming May 11th. Of course, that health emergency, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, not quite what people think when Donald Trump did that. There's more to it than that, and it's a good thing, as it turns out. Has next to zero to do with the shots. Uh, let's see. Sinatra said that she thought the mandate the mandate dropping was huge, adding that it's what we've been fighting for for the past few years. But she said, quote, I worry it comes too late, and I worry that they're dropping mandates because they feel they've been forced to do that. Their general counselors are weighing the question of where are we least liable, unquote. She also said, I don't believe that colleges recognize, just like legislators, the majority of them. They don't recognize the risks of vaccination, and they don't recognize vaccine injuries, and obviously that's a huge problem. It's kind of disturbing when it comes to discussing the consequences. There's a big brick wall, because there has to be. Because if you tell them it's a biological weapon, And look what you've taken yourself, and look what you've done to the people in the town or city where this university or college exists, not to mention the people within who attend and pay to attend. When you tell these individuals that you perpetuated a biological weapon, they won't be able to come to grips with that. In fact, they'll blow you off. But as you've heard me say, they'll have a few choices to make. They'll either quit their jobs and leave town, and I'm talking about the administrators and the people who perpetuated this out of sheer embarrassment, assuming that they come to grips with what they've done, uh, or they'll be overridden with grief and kill themselves. I'm not sure which, 
I think they'd be more likely to just leave town and run out of sheer embarrassment and fear that, uh, you know, that someone would retaliate against them in some way. But again, it, it just, the article goes on and on here and it continues. And they, again, they, they state that the mandates were complete nonsense, that they've hurt people. The amount of money that they were spending on pushing their messages is beyond exorbitant, while at the exact same time, they were driving themselves into uh, a financial crisis that's remarkably huge. And that's putting it mildly. It says that there's been limited pushback. There have been several lawsuits. And then toward the bottom of the article, it says this. It says, important conversations never had. Experts who spoke on the Dartmouth conference panel who were interviewed by the defenders said that the impacts of the mandates extended even beyond serious vaccine side effects to social harms like normalizing censorship, manipulation of the public through fear-mongering, concentrating the power of big pharma, and driving social division. No kidding. Understatement of the century. And it goes on and on and on again. Loss of trust among the medical profession and the institutions themselves. Yeah. Yep, they never should have been trusted in the first place. Again, before the mandates, which again doesn't mean mandatory, but before they pushed all of that out, there was already a massive and growing distrust in the entire apparatus. And now, I'm shocked again that that people attend. I'm shocked that they continue to attend these institutions. And, and again, many of them are jabbed now, upwards of 80 to 90 percent of the attendees are all jabbed. And I'm telling you, in the town where I live, at Miami University, you can drive around and it is dead flipping empty. It's still dead empty. You've heard Dr. Robin McCutcheon and myself talk about this on a constant basis when she's been on that it was, a, and, and I'm sure you know this too, if you've ever attended a college or a university or even driven through one, when the weather is nice, there will typically be people outside doing things outside, throwing a football around, playing catch, uh, you know, wearing bathing suits, catching some sun, drinking a beer on the front porch, you know, walking around the, the stores and the shops, whatever it may be. That's not the case here. It's just not the case. It does not pass the eyeball test. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the course of the summer. It'll be interesting to see what happens in, in the fall, in the early fall when students come back for the next school year. With these mandates now gone here at Miami University, and apparently, again, numerous schools, if not most of them, dropping these mandates permanently, or at least in the meantime, because they're losing students and they're losing faculty. So, I don't know. Time will tell, but we still have to put our observational skills to the test and see what we can see, and then I'll do my best again to continue to bring that to this show and and keep you updated as to what's happening. All right. With that aside now, uh, I, there's no way to really describe this other than I'm just going to, again, link it in the description below. I watch X-22 Report from time to time, and I listen to Dave on X-22 Report. I don't know if you do or not. Um, I highly recommend it. It's certainly a good news aggregate. He does a nice job of sort of bringing together lots of different subjects and then bringing it all together on a night-in, night-out basis. But this past weekend... He had a conversation with a guy by the name of Derek Johnson. Derek is a, he's sort of showed up out of nowhere, so to speak, but the dude brings the receipts and he's ex-army 
and he talks again about the operation that's taking place, the, the military operation among the good guys that is certainly taking place. And there is no doubt about that. You've heard me again. I've written substacks about it, and I've brought it up here that Donald Trump signed the Insurrection Act. There's a lot of executive orders that he signed, and the military is in charge. And they are doing particular things both, I would say, in front of everyone for them to see and become outraged about particular things, and at the exact same time cleaning up numerous messes behind the scenes that are not being shown to us right now. And I'm not going to be able to summarize the entire hour, but this is something you're going to want to watch because it's going to start a dialogue, certainly I would say within your own mind, and then a dialogue among you, your family members, your friends, those of you who are awake and are interested in, in sort of thinking on a different dimension and, and trying to figure out what's going on here. Um, again, I can't summarize the entire thing right now, but I still have a lot of questions, even after watching it and listening to it. I still have some questions about particular things, and I wanted to bring some of those questions to the beginning of Wednesday's show. So if you give that a watch and you have some questions, feel free and reach out to me on Gab, uh, again, in the digital messages or, or direct messages, or uh, you know you can email me after, after watching it and, and give me your two cents. Maybe you think it's all BS. I, I frankly don't think that it is. Again, the Law of War Manual is remarkably broad, and it's remarkably specific. I find it difficult that the Law of War Manual would exist at the extent that it does in the two volumes that it exists, and it not be followed by the good guys who are in charge here. So I think that that is happening. I'm certain, actually, that that's happening. It's beyond just thinking. And uh, again, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of communications that are shared with, with Trump and with the public again, in sort of a coded way or a hidden message kind of way, and, uh, and it's a good thing. That doesn't mean that certain things aren't going to happen here in the future, whether it be this summer or next, that is going to sort of involve the entire public yet again, kind of like the way that the whole COVID lockdown thing happened and how that sort of got everybody's attention at once. I think something like that's going to have to happen again. He, d he describes that and, and dives into that. And uh, he also describes, again, the federalization of the National Guard and how they are under military and federal control at the federal level, that the state governors are not in charge of what goes on with the, uh, with the National Guard when normally they would be. That is not the case now. And that the National Guard in the future, as he states, is going to be used in inner cities and in towns across the United States in the coming months, if not year or so, to take care of the homeless problem in the blink of an eye and take care of the, uh, the gangs and the drug dealings and all of, all of the crime and things of that nature. Because again, these cities are crumbling. And what he says too is, is he says that's what Donald Trump's referring to when he talks about these freedom cities. That he's not talking about these 15-minute cities where Everybody's locked down and you can't go anywhere because everything is where it needs to be within 15 minutes of where you live. That's not necessarily it. He's talking about cleaning up the cities permanently. Because as we know, we've had criminals 
in charge in Washington, D.C., who are perpetuating the slow decline of America. But if you weaponize the military and the military immediately comes into these environments and fixes them, then, then we have a chance. Then we can start over. And that's a good thing. So I will link that discussion in the description below. Derek Johnson, again, I'm not very familiar with him, but I've heard him talk now a couple of times. And he can ring off these federal codes and these executive orders uh, like he's reading the back of his hand. I mean, it's he, he's very good, and he certainly seems to know what he's talking about. And this is, of course, a plan that's been in place for quite some time that uh, is going to have to happen. And I think, frankly, if it goes down the way that he describes, and, and, we, and we are able to see what, what is actually happening and we're not lied to about it, the people who have always said, you know, the trust the plan lie is all bullshit. None of that means anything. And, you know, we need to just get angry and, and, and galvanize the local community and, and not sit on our couch. All of those people are going to be eating crow and humble pie like nobody's business because we need a well-oiled machine and we need a well-oiled military in order to survive. And there are good people in the military. They're not all this woke agenda that's being sold to everybody as being the only thing that exists in our country. That's not true. Many people took oaths, including, again, ex-military. And those individuals, I'm certain, would be willing to pick up their arms and do whatever they had to do to save this country. But he dives into all those specifics. So again, I'm going to end this there. That's the homework project. I recommend listening to that conversation. You'll have questions. There will be comments, I'm certain. Uh, and I just want to mention a few questions that I have regarding that at the top of next episode. So the, the beginning of next episode may not make sense to you if, if you haven't watched this particular interview where he's talking with Dave from X-22 Report. But either way, I'll make comments on that on Wednesday. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen. With all that said, I'll catch you then. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.